Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Welcome to another edition of the group chat, Radical Change with Vonda Page. I am your host, Vonda Page. And, um, you know, it's Black History Month and we are going to talk about it. Um, First and foremost, you know, um, as I think about Black History Month, you know, um, there's so many amazing things to think about and so many conversations to be had when it comes to being able to uh, commemorate and celebrate celebrate um, the contributions that Black people have made to um, you know the world, and at the same time, you know, there's a conflicted feeling that I have from the standpoint of you know why we even have to continue to still justify um, the equality um, and the old reparations from all the contributions that, you know, we've, we've made. And so what I was thinking about as I was preparing for um, today uh, was a couple of things, but I think the first is, you know, when uh, you think about power and influence, And you think about how people use, right, either their power or influence. And we know that people have choices. And when you think about the limited amount of Black people, right, in in our population, so 13%, right, Black black population uh, in America, 6% Black women in America. That's not a big number, right? 6% out of 100 And so when you're looking at things from a proportionality sort of standpoint, you say, okay, well, if all or many or a good number of the Black women who have any sort of uh, position or power or influence are trying to use that, right, um, for good, then what about all these other groups? What about these other people? What about these companies and entities, how are they using their power? So um, I am not a big football fan because of the trauma and brain damage that it does. Uh, Although, you know, growing up in the 70s and and being a teenager in in the 80s, right? Um, and, And kid, I grew up, of course, watching football. I don't watch football now. Um, if it is on and let's say I am at a, a bar or a restaurant or something, I might look at it, but I don't I don't like to watch it. But of course, I watched the halftime show from the Super Bowl and I really uh, got a chance to watch it again 
um, this morning. And of course it was everything and more. And the thing that I thought, you know, that I heard people talk about in various ways this week was how Eminem, who is one of my favorite rappers, um, you know, used his power, right? And used his voice to do something that only he could do. And I'm gonna tell you, those of you uh, who um, are not on TikTok, you need to get on TikTok. And TikTok, like every other app, right, has good and bad places. <laughs> and it has places that are probably more aligned to your individual values and things that you think about. Well, if you can manage to find your way onto Black Woman TikTok, which is, of course, the best TikTok, uh, you will see some people that, you know, were giving some amazingly articulate explanations in a much better way than I could ever do about how Eminem used his power, right? Uh, and how he is the only person that could have taken a knee. And it just was, everything about it was so was so beautiful, right? The, the entire thing, of course, I mean, to see Queen Mary, you know, just come out and do her thing, um, you know, Snoop Crip walking <laughs> with, his, with his outfit, you know, Dre after having that aneurysm. I don't know if y'all know he had an aneurysm. I think it was in last year, if I remember correctly. And then some people broke into his house when he was in the um, hospital unconscious. That was jacked up. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, to see him looking good and healthy and big, you know, a lot of times after people have an illness, you know, they lose weight. And so he looked great. Um, I thought it was really terrible that people fat shaming 50 cent. What the hell? This man is laying upside down. And who knows how long, how many seconds it was before the camera went on him. Okay. I, I know I can't do that. My upper body ain't dope like that. Right. And so like people fat shaming a man. And then I, then I, I was hearing some conversation about, uh, people were talking about taking up for people who were shaming 50, uh, cent, but, and then shaming him uh, by trying to bring Lizzo into the category. Um, and it's just been, uh, it's, it's been very interesting. So um, I say all that to say, uh, you know, I hope you have had time to check out uh, the halftime show because it is, you know, um, black excellence, uh, black music excellence at its finest. Um, and for those of you who don't know any of those songs, who are not intimately familiar with those artists and their music, I'm going to uh, encourage you to listen to all of their music uh, individually, listen to their projects together, um, you know, because it's amazing music. And one of the things, you know, when I think about Black history is, you know, music and, and, and the influence of music, right, on our lives and especially um, for Black people and in the Black community. So when I was thinking about uh, that halftime performance, and I was watching, you know, Mary J. Blige, and I was thinking about her story, you know, um, of, of, of abuse and trauma. And I was remembering when she came out on Oprah Winfrey and she sang No More Drama on Oprah Winfrey. And I remember in the living room screaming, ah, Mary J. And she came out and she was like, no more drama in my life, right? And that became an anthem. For black women. I know it was one of my key anthems. And I know when I had to get rid of somebody, I was like, no more drama in my life. Like I was, I was literally, uh, what do we say? Conjuring. <laughs> I was conjuring Queen Mary, like no more drama in my life. Right. You know, um, 
And, and, and so when I think about Black history and I think about music, I want to encourage every person. I don't care what your, um, you know, racial identity is that you've been given, right, by, um, you know, patriarchal white supremacist systems. You need to listen to Black music. Um, and you need to listen to um, all of the music, right? And because what you hear in music is you hear the stories. And one of the things, right, when you think about history and stories, and we talked about it um, this week, especially Dawn and I um, in the conversation at the Future of Work Symposium um, that I held earlier this week, we talked about the uh, tie-in between our stories and belonging. And so when you think about music, right, and you think about how when people write, um, whether they write by hearing a melody first and then words get added, or whether they are telling a story through words and then they add a melody, or whether they start with a beat and then they add words to it, right? It's all a story and it is part of history. And so when you think about, you know, artists who have, you know, music that is out there in the public and now we can get things, you know, um, on these different streaming services or you can watch and hear almost all music on, uh, you know, on YouTube, right? Um, type in these names and listen to their music. And really, when you have some time to focus, right, hear some of these storage, stories and challenges um, that they've gone through and hear the hope and the, 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 um, the fortitude, right, and the resilience. And then you also hear, you know, things that, you know, make you say, wow, you know, um, I don't get this story. Well, guess what? You're not supposed to get every story, right? Because everything is not about you. It's about the person whose story it is. And that's where I really, you know, want to spend some time, right? And talking about um, Black History Month overall, talking about history, right? And talking about, you know, what Black History Month could and, 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 and can be, right? Um, what it could be, um, rather than tokenism and performance, right, rather than powerful entities and influential people, um, right, using their power, we could make it so that tokenism and performance are not happening. We could make it such that powerful entities and influential people can use their power and their influence, right? To advance the causes of, of Black people. Um, so when Eminem took the knee, it, it, it did so much more, right? Because he basically said, I do not give a damn. I have money. He has sold more, right, uh, albums than, I don't even know the number, but he's like one of the largest, right, uh, selling people ever, right, when it comes to rap. And so he's not really concerned, right, about his career taking a hit over anything because he can do it. And, and that, to me, it was just such a, a beautiful display of solidarity. It was such a beautiful display of I know how to use my privilege, right? Um, because, you know, when you think about and, and I've had conversations about this and, you know, I would encourage people to watch 
um, <clears throat> any of the previous uh, group chat shows where I'm speaking specifically with Jackie Abram, because we've talked about how, um, you know, racism is weaponized, right, in very serious ways to Black people when we are perceived as stepping out of line in any way, right? So you know that, uh, you know, all of the artists, right, um, Kendrick and Snoop and Dr. Dre and Mary and 50 um, and Eminem, they had to sign and all of the, uh, the musicians that were on stage, all of the dancers, they had to sign hella detailed contracts with very specific rules that said, if you do this, right? And we know, right, that white supremacy is so strong in this country that they, they only have, right, um, so much latitude. So although all of those people are successful, right, and, and have more money than most of us, who will ever have, right, they still can be hurt and harmed, right, because of the way that the systems and structures of whiteness and white supremacy work in this country, there is no one who is untouchable. And so that always begs the question of how people choose and make choices to, you know, align or misalign with their own values about what's important to them, right, and those things that make them say, okay, here are the choices that I'm going to make based on my own values and things that are important to me. So when you think about, uh, you know, um, Eminem being able to take a knee like that, right? He said, to me, it's way more important to say that the unjust and un, uh, you know, um, unjust killing harassment, beating, lack of giving reparations to Black people in this country is wrong and is still wrong. And because I have power, I'm going to speak up and I'm going to take my power that I have and I'm going to use it for good. And let me tell y'all, so many people who, you know, probably never wanted to, to I don't know, maybe admit how... Um, what a what a real ally looks like, or maybe want to admit that you know there are some people that are down, like really down. That that's how you show it. That's how you put it all on the line, right? That's how you put it on the line. I was watching a video, an uh, interview with uh, Snoop, and uh, he was being interviewed. I can't think about who at the moment. I want to say was he having this conversation with Ghostface Killer? I don't know, but anyway, he was having a conversation with somebody, and they were talking about Eminem in the context of like racial draft and how like we traded uh, Stacey Dash and um, that Chrisette person, whatever the, some, you know, some people like that, right. Uh, for him. <laughs> and it was hilarious. Uh, you know, um, but, but it goes to show what that, what that actually looks like. And the fact that it's black history month, right? Like I remember there were times when the Super Bowl was in January, like January 29th, or January 30th or whatever over the over the years, right? And so the fact that it wasn't Black History Month um, was, was just was amazing. Uh, the other thing that I found really interesting is I saw this week also um, conversation on TikTok, right, around people uh, having um, like white people uh, complaining about this halftime show, saying it's, it wasn't that good, 
Well, I watch the halftime shows if they're, if, you know, when they have good artists on there, or I just watch the performance of the artists that I want to see, you know, um, in this case, these are my, these are my people. Right. And so of course I'm gonna watch it, but I was not going to watch it that day during the time because I had my whole little thing about that. However, right. To watch the conversation where people are saying, oh, you know what? A halftime show wasn't that great. Um, if people are saying that the halftime show wasn't that great, right? What is the reason that they're saying it? It can't be about the music because this is American music. And there's been way, you know, halftime performances that they have not been, you know, that good, right? Um, and so what is people's problem with it? So one thing I would be curious about is people who, you know, um, work, uh, you know, in companies or, you know, work among other people, what were the responses uh, of your colleagues, right? This week, were people complaining about the halftime show? Were they saying it was great? Uh, were they like surprised at how great and healthy Dr. Dre looked after being, you know, having a, a an illness or whatever? Like, what were people saying? Um, and, and so I want to know, <clears throat> you know, what also type of things people are seeing and experiencing um, other than the status quo, right? Which are things like, um, I'm still seeing people being followed, you know, in stores. Um, unfortunately, this week I ran across, um, you know, a couple of stories where there are some Black women um, who are missing, who've been missing for like several days, uh, uh, I've seen some terrible police brutality. There was a situation with a student at Purdue University where the uh, campus police um, was literally, uh, you know, choking this kid uh, in the snow with his black black boy, uh, college boy, with his white college girlfriend saying, "This is my boyfriend. Please stop. Please stop." And she and and you know she's holding the camera saying this is my boyfriend this is my boyfriend and he's on the ground saying you're choking me and um you know and this cop is telling her you know not to film and it, it was just tragic it was just tragic and so I say all that to say right that when we think about you know Black History Month we think about history and we think about the everyday lived experiences you know of of the Black community right um of all ages and um that experience is still tragic that experience is still you know awful that experience is still um you know one that needs to be addressed that needs to be talked about right and so what did Eminem do right he he stood up and he said black lives matter no matter what right and one of he one of his uh one of his rap um, and I can't remember which album it's on. I think it's the one with the flag on there. Um, uh, that's one he did from 2017, you know, and he talks about, you know, how these things are still tragically, you know, tragically happening. Using power, right? And using your power in a way um, that is, is going to be impactful. So sometimes, right? And I know I've talked about this before, especially in context or in the reference to even John Graham's book, right? About that balance of security, right? Financial security versus freedom, right? That balance of you being able to 
um, you know, live in your values and, you know, um, make ends meet at the same time. Right. And when you are black at work, it is not easy to balance that. In fact, it is very, very difficult. Right. Um, because you are always under severe scrutiny. You're always um, in a trauma response and you're always trying to react and carry yourself in such a way that you are not going to appear to be threatening or to be aggressive or assertive, or like I was sharing um, with people last week, you know, this thing of being called too smart, this thing around being too competent and too capable. So that is why, right, we even get these jobs. That is why we even get these positions. So it really, you know, when you think about somebody saying that, you're like, okay, that really, that really doesn't make any sense. And so we're even balancing, how do I not be too smart? Because what we actually know, right, is that the way people react to us, the way people treat us, it's never about us. It's always about them. And we know that. So when it comes to America and corporate America, right, which is America, right, because if you think about all of those people that were sitting around at the signing of the Constitution, right? When you think about those people, when you think about going to war, having a civil war, right? Over wanting to keep human beings as property. That was a business. Black bodies was a business. And that business got shut down for the most part, right? And Moss, the business got shut down, even though we know, right, that the business of black bodies is still running rampant because we have private prisons all over this country. And what are we doing with those human beings in those prisons? We are making them do manual labor, right? Um, and we are treating them like animals to erode their health and their self-esteem and their intellect so that they just give up on life and so that they die. It's an it's a, a, a extinction program, right? Prison is an extinction program, right? All around this country, we have school districts, including the state I live in, that are degrading standards of basic education so that kids who graduate from high school don't necessarily have to have a certain degree of competency. How are we gonna raise up and train the next generation of technologists and scientists and mathematicians and botanists and explorers and doctors how are we going to do that with a dumb populace that cannot read beyond a fourth grade level that doesn't know the difference between facts and commentary and opinion and information and science? I don't know, right? 
But what I do know is that it's very important that we stay aware and stay cognizant, right, of that balance and making sure that we know who is in those positions that have some power that they can do something with it. So when a black person is in power, right, often what happens is you have to figure out how far, right, you can go and what you um what you're willing to risk. So are you willing to risk your entire career? Um, are you willing to risk your bonus? Are you willing to risk, you know, whatever? And most of the time the answer is no. And because you're the only at work or one of a very few, right? It's not like you feel necessarily that you have the power, right? And the, um, the numbers maybe to really make a difference in that way. But what you can do is you can really start to build up some collective action, right? You could start to find other people um, to see who else, you know, um, wants to do something about it, right? Um, and that is a way to really start making a difference, right? And so when you think about the crux of belonging, when you think about, you know, Black history, when you think about you know, um, how to, you know, be, uh, how to really be a participant, but from the same standpoint, make it normal, make it common that being black is normal, right? It may not seem normal, right? But it's normal. Now, yes, there's only 13% of the population that's black, but it's normal, right? So one of the things about, I think, the way people see blackness um, is because of this reckoning, because of our history with race, because of, you know, the, the undeniable fact, right, that the experience of being black in America is not an optimal experience for except a very few. And even, right, people who are in um, healthy socioeconomic conditions, right, meaning, you know, if you want to say somebody that has all of their, their basic needs met and maybe they have a few nice things, right, so they have food, they have clothes, they have shelter, security, right, so they have food security, they have housing security, they have healthcare, right, security, which most people in America do not have, believe it or not. Still, right, with this so-called booming economy that the propagandists are trying to make us to believe the economy is booming, the economy is booming for 11% of us in America. The other 89%, the economy is not booming. Depending on where you live in the country, um, you're going to see way more food deserts pop up because there are some different things happening, um, you know, with agriculture and farming subsidies that are um, making it uh, less likely that we're going to have as much uh, fresh um, fruits and vegetables and farm foods um, in the coming season. So, you know, when we again, right, think about harm and we think about 
the bigger picture, right? I think about <laughs> George Washington Carver, who not only, you know, invented the peanut and all these uses for it, but a whole bunch of other things. And think about every other, you know, invention and all these other things that, you know, without Black people in this country, where would we be? And so the fact, right, that that um, 87%, right, of the country or, or more, right, because there's Black people too that do have positions of power that they could, uh, that they could use, right, to advantage others a little more positively, but for whatever reason, don't feel like they can do that. And if they're weighing, right, that delicate balance of freedom versus security, then it makes sense and it's totally understandable. However, though, y'all, when are we going to say something else is possible? When are we going to say that I don't, I don't, I don't, I have to think about more than just myself and my comfort and my safety. I'm not saying don't look out for number one, don't be your own number one star player, okay? Um, CEO of, you know, you.com, you have to be all that. But at the same time, we have to do that within the context of thinking, how do we make the future better for others, right? So even when I think about, you know, the work, some of the work that I did this week, a big project that I worked on was this future of work symposium. And we specifically focused on digital transformation and accountability. And what does that really look like in the work and the workplace, right? And some of the big things that came out of it, number one is that the future of work is humane. And I want to know what is humane about working eight, nine, 10, or maybe even more hours a day sitting in front of a computer and, you know, you have to pretend to be or pretend to smile or pretend to say, you know, that you're fine when you're not. What is humane about somebody making sexist, misogynist, racist, trans or homophobic comments, slurs, or using that language? What is humane about doing repetitive tasks that you know could be done in a different way, but you're, uh, you know, every time you raise a, a process improvement, you know, to your manager or whatever, right? They turn it down. Um, don't worry about it. Just do it this way because this is how we've always done it. What's humane about any of that? And so one of the things, right, that people don't understand, and I hope, you know, as we have nine more days um, left in Black History Month because they're giving us until March 1st, um, as we go through these nine days, right, I want to know um, and I want to see um, and, and I'm hoping, right, more people that are leaving the workforce, more people that are going to start their own businesses, more people that are going to become self-employed, more people that are going to become solopreneurs, because the workplace as it is, is not humane. And I really, frankly, don't think that is a lot of change that we can make 
within these current systems. I think that we're going to have to build up systems alongside of these and show the alternatives and, and, and operate within these alternatives and, and abandon these other ones. Because I also believe, and I actually know because I've been you know, around for a long time, that those powerful entities and influential people, they're not going to give up their power or their influence because they don't understand that life is not a pie. They don't understand that, right? They don't understand that just because, you know, uh, 6% of the population would like 6% of the jobs and 6% of the leadership roles and 6% of the VC funding and 6% of everything, just because we just want 6%, right? Um, Why is that so terrible, right? And so to think about, you know, what that looks like from a standpoint of, uh, you know, really um, equity, right, which we know is a, you know, basically a BS, you know, uh, kind of a thing, right? Equality is, is, is basically a, a thing that, you know, based on what we know and how things are operating, right, the likelihood of being able to say, okay, um, we're going to uh, change fundamentally some of these deeply rooted systems and structures that are being upheld, right, purposefully through policies and laws and stuff. So it's a lot of work that we have to do. And I'm not saying that it cannot be done. However, what I am saying, though, is that the way to the most um, significant and fast moving change, right, is to uh, construct new things, right? So one of the things we talked about also this week um, in the symposium was we also talked about new power systems, right? And, And different dynamics and different systems that are, you know, being operated or effective in other parts of the world. And in even certain companies when it comes to power sharing, right? But um, that goes against how capitalism goes, right? That goes against how, uh, you know, the, the, our system here in America um, has trained us all, right? We, we, we believe and we, we are under this, um, I guess you call it, it's our conditioning, right? Capitalistic conditioning, right? That tells us that, you know, we, we want to, we have to work for a company to be valuable, right? It tells us that we have to, um, you know, uh, have certain things to be considered, um, you know, uh, considered worthy. And as black people, right? Of course, um, we have been conditioned, right, even more so, right, throughout our trauma and, and a big part of that trauma being, you know, our history um, as an in, enslaved people, right? And so that trauma has, has continued, right, to live on and it, it shows up in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that that trauma shows up is in our um, consistent striving and desire to um, be as close to feeling how we can be accepted by this construct of whiteness as possible. How do we not be too black? 
How do we not be too loud? How do we not be too aggressive? How do we not be too this, right? How do we, um, you know, uh, how do we navigate, right, when we're always under threat? How do we consistently live our best lives, right, and try to, you know, um, just be, right? How do we do that? How do we do that when we're always under threat, always under consideration, always under being monitored? I told some people last week, I can't remember uh, what day it was, if it happened before I did the show last week or not. Um, but I got monitored last week when I went to the bank, right? I went to, um, you know, I live in a small community. So we have a, a, a you know, I'm going to say old school bank, but it's a bank, right? And um, to get to the ATM, you just go inside and it's a door and it's not even like a little, you know, a security thing or anything. So of course I will only go in the daytime. I go, right? I have my card out. I'm all ready. Boom, boom, go get my money. I see people watch me from this other truck or whatever. Boom. They watch. I get my money. I roll. But just the point, right, of they don't, I know I'm the only black person in this community, probably. Um, and I know I am, really. <laughs> uh, and so they look at me like I don't belong here, right? <clears throat> Which this is just how it is. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. But it goes to show, right? the level of, um, of ignorance, it goes to show the level of, um, education. It goes to show the, um, the community, right. And that those people have the same, um, you know, views or whatever. And they were like, Hey, let's go see what she going, you know, cause what is she doing here? Right. Because even though they have colonized, um, and, 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 you know, have stolen these lands, um, from the indigenous people, uh, the original Americans, they believed that they own it, right? But they were doing that all over, all over Europe, right? And then you know, continued all over the world. And so today, we live with the remnants of that, right? We live with the, with you know, with with the um, results of it, and a lot of those systems, right, um, are systems that have been here for a long time. So that's why I say that it's really important to think about what do alternative systems look like? What do new systems look like? What does it actually look like? And how do we how do we raise those up? Because it's going to be way more challenging. Um, and as we see, right, to tear down systems. And we also, if we're talking about black history, right, we have to be honest and we have to say what has happened when the challenges to these systems have gotten to that real serious point. What has the backlash been? And even if we think about, you know, one six of 21, what, what did they do last year? And what was that message to the rest of us, right? That was a message that they're telling us that this is theirs, that they have taken it <laughs> and that we don't get to partake in it, right? Unless we partake in it at their um, behest, right? And the way that they choose. But what are the rest of us saying, right? We know that there's like, you know, 60% of, of, of rational, normal people. But the thing is, what are we actually doing, right? Because 
there has to be some action that goes along with it. It's one thing to say discrimination is wrong, racism is bad, sexism is bad, the planet is on fire and we need to do something. But it's another thing, right, to put some energy into it. It's another thing to come with that. I like, I like to tell people, come with the same energy that the Republicans be coming through to get their stuff done. Come through with that uh, <laughs> that Amy, that Amy Comey Barrett energy that they did to get her on the court. We, if we come through like that to erect new systems, if we come through like that to, to, to make change, right? If we come through like that to really, you know, do, to do something and we do it together, right? And we say, okay, who's out here doing stuff? And we say, how do we partner with them and make stuff happen? That's how we do it. That's how we do it, right? And so what I want to encourage people to do is a couple of things because the dog is not going to let me have this conversation um, today, um, even though I've already taken her out like four times. But what I want to encourage us to do is a couple of things. Number one, um, right, look at how we need to support each other from the standpoint of, right, we're constantly making history, but look at how we need to support each other and what does that look like? So when it comes to Living Corporate, the group chat, or any of the other shows, right, what we really need to do, and one thing that's going to help, number one, to get the, the, the content out there so that other people can hear it, right, is to really share the content. So download it, share it, like it, but then even more than that is send a review and put a comment. That's one thing. Another thing is wherever you are, right, in work, um, in school, right, in your community, right, start like uplifting each other and start talking about, you know, the people and the projects and the organizations and the things that you know are doing good work because that is black history, right? So we are black history and black history is ongoing. And so we can you know, make black history what we want it to be. And and, and let's use the, the next nine days to, you know, really um, look at our position in terms of how we are forwarding black history. And for those of us who know, right, that black history is American history. And those of us who, who, who don't want black people to be a hyphenated part of history, right? Um, we want it to just be history. So how do we do that, right? We have to talk more. We have to connect more. We have to support more. And, and like straight up, we have to love more. And even though it doesn't feel good and, you know, at this time it's like, you know, how much more? But, you know, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to love ourselves, align with our own values, you know, align with, with um, you know, the direction that we want things to go. Right. So the future is now. And where do we want it to go? I want a better future with some clean water, clean air where people are nice to each other and women don't have to worry about being assaulted all the time. Black people don't have to be getting lynched in any form, lynched at work, lynched in the street by bullets, by tasers that are supposed to be guns or whatever. So we can get that future, but we got to do something. And we got to work together. So um, check out this episode, check out the other ones, make sure you share them and, you know, join me, uh, next time. And, and we're going to just keep on talking. So thanks for joining the group chat and peace out. I will see y'all soon. Thank you.